I thought Steve was going to say then with the wisdom that comes with age. <laughs> oh, I missed that. Yeah, you missed. <laughs> right. Well, temptations. There are many temptations in this life, but cake is probably one of the biggest of them. So said Alexander McCall Smith, the author of the number one ladies detective agency, which actually, if you were clued into last week, Pat Blanchard also quoted from that, his books as well. Well, that is a light-hearted way of looking at temptation. I certainly find it hard to resist the lovely patisseries in France, or the ice creams of Italy, or the wonderful coffee we had last year in Malta. But temptation is a deadly subject. It's really serious. And the experience that Jesus went through that Cheryl has just read to us will give us some thoughts on how we too can resist temptation. Today we're starting a new series, um, Dipping In and Out of Luke. So we'll be looking at various passages in Luke over the next few weeks. Incidentally, this really is one of those most sacred stories because it must have been Jesus himself who told this to the disciples. That gives you a real insight into his humanity and into the way he interacted with the disciples. He wanted them to know about this very personal and intimate experience that he had in the desert He had just been baptised by John the Baptist and the voice of God had spoken confirming his messiahship and his mission. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And did you notice that it was in the power of the spirit, in the power of the spirit that Jesus was led into the wilderness. He was led by the spirit into the wilderness. It was a terrible place heat like a vast furnace, far more than we've experienced recently, with jagged rocks and lots of sand hills. And Jesus was in this hostile environment for 40 days and 40 nights without food, totally alone. Now the number 40 is probably significant because numbers do mean things in the Bible and 40 represents trials and temptations and refers back to both the wandering for 40 years of the children of Israel in the desert, but also to the 40 days of fasting that both Moses and Elijah went through. Well, first of all, let's ask the question, who does the tempting? Well, it's certainly not God. James, the brother of Jesus, writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So it is the devil, Satan, who is created but a rebellious fallen angel who constantly fights against God and against believers, all those who follow and obey God. Satan, you remember, had succeeded with Adam and Eve, and now he's hoping to succeed with Jesus, the second Adam. 
Later on, the Apostle Paul was to write these words, Peter was to write these words, that enemy of yours, the devil, roams round like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And elsewhere we read about the devil being a liar and a deceiver. However, we do need to recognize right from the start that the devil is not omnipresent like God. That means he cannot be everywhere at the same time like God. He can only be in one place at one time. So the devil is hardly likely to be attacking you or you or you or me. He's got far bigger fish to fry. But it is either we are tempted into sin by our own desires, as we've just read in James, or it would be much more likely that one of the junior devils, as it were, will be doing the nasty deed. This cut is very vividly portrayed in the book by C.S. Lewis that he wrote called The Screwtape Letters. This takes the form of a series of letters, and I, some of you are smiling, I think some of you have read it, from a senior demon, Screwtape, to his nephew, Wormwood, who's a junior tempter, who is trying to secure the damnation of a British man known only as the patient. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards will do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, with no sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So let's look at these three temptations of Jesus. First of all, Satan made his first temptation very attractive and desirable, even necessary, by encouraging Jesus to satisfy his hunger by turning a stone into bread. And in fact, the desert floor would have been littered with little bits of limestone, which coincidentally do look a bit like a loaf. Satan's approach is very subtle. He challenges Jesus not only to satisfy his hunger, but to demonstrate his claims that he is the Son of God. Now in Isaiah 49, that's a part of the prophecy that is one of the signs expected of the Messiah, says that he would feed his people. They shall not hunger or thirst. So Jesus here is being tempted to prove his messiahship by turning the stones into bread, just like Moses had done when God sent the manna from heaven. Jesus responds to this temptation, as with all the others, in exactly the same way, using the words of scripture. And all three quotes are taken from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6 to 8. So in this instance, Jesus resisted with the words from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, man does not live on bread alone. And the second temptation was to worship the devil, to avoid the sufferings of the cross, which Jesus had come specifically to endure. The temptation offered by Satan was an easy shortcut to world dominion. It was the temptation to compromise. You can almost imagine the devil saying, just compromise a little with evil and men will follow you. Jesus could have set up an earthly kingdom far greater than the Roman Empire. But again, 
He resisted with the words from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The third temptation is to test God's faithfulness and to attract public attention in a very dramatic way by throwing himself off the temple. Actually, at the time, there would probably be no one around anyway. But anyway, devil is putting doubt into Jesus' mind. He's saying, if you are the son of God, if, if, if. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Do you see how crafty Satan is this time? He uses scripture himself. He's actually quoting from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. But he's taking it out of context and he's misquoting it, although he's saying it word for word. The intention of Psalm 91 is to show God's protection of his people not to incite them to use God's power in sensational displays. So Jesus rebuffs him again with the words from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then we read that Satan left him until an opportune time. I would imagine that Satan tempted him often during his three years of ministry, culminating in that supreme trial in the Garden of Gethsemane. So why do you think Jesus shared this very personal and intimate spiritual battle with his disciples? Why are his temptations relevant to us today? First of all, we need to remind ourselves of the humanity of Jesus. When he was faced with the devil and his temptations, he was just like you and me. He did not have supernatural power to say no to the devil. He was a human being. Paul writes to the Philippian church saying, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. So we can't say, well, Jesus was God, so of course he was able to resist temptation. He had the power to do it. No, Jesus was one of us, a human body, a human personality. And if he was able to resist temptation, then so are we. And he had to be fully human to understand how we need to be able to resist temptation He shows us how to overcome it so that we can. So the way Jesus resisted the temptation of the devil gives us clues and insights into how we too can resist the desire to give in to temptation. Of course, we have to remember we are in a spiritual battle as as Ephesians puts it so well with all the hosts of darkness around us and we, we need to put on the armor of God. But if we belong to Jesus, then God is in control of our lives, not Satan. So it's so encouraging to know that Jesus resisted these different temptations in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is available to each one of us who believe. And it was also very important for Jesus to be tested 
and tempted in this way, so that he would know the power and enticement that temptation has for ordinary human beings. The writer to the Hebrews says, Since the children, that's you and me, have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And because Jesus remained faithful in his temptations, he is a model for us who are also tempted. Remember, he had no other power other than that of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is in you as he is if you are a believer, then you have the same power as Jesus to resist. And we also have the added help and prayers of Jesus himself. Because Hebrews 2.18 goes on to say, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So how will the enemy go about tempting each one of us? Well, Satan and his fallen angels will try and take away the word of God from our hearts like that story of the sower that we had at Glow Day a couple of weeks ago, where Satan is named as coming and taking and snatching away the word which was sown in some people's lives. Other people will be used to tempt us. Do you remember Satan used Job's wife to tempt her husband, just as he used Eve to tempt Adam? I'm not saying that wives tempt their husbands. Job's wife said, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. We will be tempted to take our minds off God to concentrate on worldly issues. Now, poor old Peter, he didn't want Jesus to take that pathway to the cross. And so he, he tells him not to do it. And Jesus has to say to Peter, Peter, get behind me, Satan. He calls him Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. The tempter will try and discourage us and get us to focus on our failures instead of on God. He'll try and get us focused on our feelings instead of on faith. And we will be tempted to doubt God, to doubt Christ's identity, and to doubt what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and whether we can really trust what God said. Satan basically called God a liar to Eve in Genesis 3. He said, did God really say? Putting doubt into her mind. And his fallen angels will try and make us doubt God's faithfulness. People will tell us that God is out to take something away from us or withhold lots of good things from us. That's why a lot of people don't become Christians because they think God is a killjoy. But that is a lie. Again, that's a lie of the enemy. The truth is he has brought us life, life in its fullness and life in all its abundance. We will be tempted to see how forbidden fruit is very attractive, as Satan did with Eve. He attacked her senses by letting her see and touch that forbidden fruit. She put herself in the way of temptation by looking at it, walking around it, handling it, toying with the idea of it. And we will be surrounded by those who will try and get us to see that the flesh is dominant and must be obeyed. 
we will be fed the lie that it's human nature to be tempted. Romans 13, Paul writes, Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And like Jesus, we will be tempted to worship other things instead of God. So, what can we do to resist temptation? Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 26, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we need to watch and pray for ourselves and for each other. That could be part of our daily prayer time, thinking of each other in the church, to pray that we, each one of us, will resist temptation. That we need to be on the lookout, to be on our guard. And we can use the Lord's Prayer. We say every week, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But don't forget the line before it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Daily forgiveness of others will keep us clear of daily temptations for ourselves. And then we need to use the scriptures like Jesus did. But of course, that implies knowing it first knowing it well enough to keep it in our hearts. And if you can't remember, then write it down. Write it down on the card. Write it in the front of your Bible. Have lots of verses that you can come to. They are a resource. The Word of God is a powerful resource to resist the enemy. Ask God to show you particular verses that apply to you in your life and your particular temptations. And try not to get involved, says the Scriptures, with wanting lots of money or thinking about worldly things like that rich young ruler. Paul writing to Timothy says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then we can be aware of stumbling blocks. That's what Jesus called Peter when he tried to tempt him away from his path to the cross. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Years later, Peter was to write about Jesus as the living stone, the living rock. He's actually quoting from way back in Isaiah where it says, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. We can recognize Jesus as a stone, that rock that will stop us in our tracks. It will stop us swerving off the path into sin. I'd rather stumble over Jesus the rock than stumble into sin. And we can ask Jesus in our own quiet times practical ways that we can avoid getting into temptation. And it's encouraging to know that Jesus is praying for us. In Luke 22, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus prayed for Peter and he's praying for us. And we're reminded in Romans 8, 
that the Holy Spirit is also praying for us, interceding with sighs too deep for words. And be encouraged by God's faithfulness and support and understanding. Paul writing in Corinthians says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And we can respond to the enemy's attack by faith. Jesus has freed us from the power and the effect of sin. And when we accept his salvation by faith and begin to live it out, we will find that the flesh now obeys the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. So when we are in a situation that we're not sure about, we can ask the Holy Spirit, is this being, am I being led by the Spirit or am I being led to wander off the track and away from God? At this point, I just wanted to pose the question, is there a difference between testing and tempting? We saw earlier that God does not tempt us. He cannot, because it's not in his nature to do so. He cannot do it. Satan tempts us in order to make us fall and to steer us away from God. Being tempted in itself is not sin. It's the giving in to temptation that may end up in, in sin. But scripture does teach us that God tests us, which is quite different. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. He just had his baptismal experience and his affirmation from God, and that was about to be tested for those 40 days and 40 nights. And the first quote that Jesus gave to the devil from Deuteronomy 8 is actually where Moses recalls how the Lord led the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. And this is what God said in, in Deuteronomy. God gave, this is what Moses said, God gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had not known, to humble you and to test you so that in the end it may go well with you. Earlier in Genesis, we read about God testing Abraham to see if he loved him more than his own son. So it is important to realize there is a difference between temptation that will come from the enemy or testing which will come from God. But he has specific reasons for putting us in places of testing, partly because he wants things to go well with us. He wants us to prove him that he is the faithful God he says he is. And it's also to confirm our faith and keep us from sinning. God says in Exodus, or Moses said in Exodus 20, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So sometimes God tests us in order to prove our faith. Psalm 66 verse 10 has another inkling about this testing purposes. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. It's to prove the quality of our Christian faith when God tests us, to refine us like silver. And James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, 
So testing leads to crowns. When you start reading a new book, are you ever tempted to flip to the last page and see how it ends? It's not so easy to do when reading on the iPad or Kindle. But you can't resist what's going to happen at the end. Praise the Lord, we are in that wonderful position of knowing what's going to happen to the devil in the end. Jesus said in Luke 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And Revelations, the very last book of the Bible, says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Jesus has fulfilled God's word in Genesis 3.15 when God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Romans 16 says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Satan is a defeated foe. And as Christians, we often give far too much credit to him. Jesus, the offspring of a woman, has crushed Satan's head in his victory on the cross. So Satan's final end is prophesied. It's preordained. It's absolutely certain. Satan, therefore, cannot lay hold of you and me as believers today to harm us. On the contrary, the Christian will be able to overcome Satan because John 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So this precious passage in Luke helps to reassure us this morning that our merciful high priest, Jesus, has dealt with the two big problems we face. Firstly, the removal of the death penalty for sin, We are acquitted, we're free, and secondly, the removal of the power of temptation to swerve us from the path. The enemy wants to destroy believers. He wants to neutralize us through sin and shame and guilt. He wants to make us powerless. So when temptation does rear its seductive head, and it will, We can do what Jesus did. We will be tempted, yes, but praise God, we are armed with the same power that Jesus had, the Holy Spirit. And we have the same powerful word of God that Jesus had. And we have Jesus praying for us, interceding for us, right next to his Father and the Holy Spirit also. So, friends, we can live each day, even if we are tempted, in the amazing victory that Jesus has won for us. Hallelujah. Amen. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus experienced these three terrible temptations, yet he stood firm, used your word and the power of the Holy Spirit within him. We pray that these Lessons that Jesus has won for us will fill our lives and give us the grace to resist temptation when it comes, to know that Satan's end is doomed, and yet we can live in victory through Jesus.
Amen.